Welcome to the Florence Crossroad Podcast. We're thrilled to share with you an exciting message from our weekend service. If you would like more information about who we are as a church and how to get involved, feel free to visit florencecrossroadag.org. We hope you have an amazing experience and a great week. And we're part of the family. Amen? Yeah. You can say amen a little more enthusiastic this morning. And uh, that doesn't mean that, well, we won't go there, but... But we, we're excited about that, and as we look at this concept, we have been talking about so many different aspects in relationship, in families, in marriage, and all of the dynamics that go with it. This morning, we want to talk about his needs, her needs, sons and daughters, parenting, and what it means. It's, it's, uh, we all started as a child, I think. <laughs> Amen. But we started there, and we went through the phases. There are phases in life. We, we start as a child, then we, we come into adolescence as teenagers, and then hopefully we become mature and we become adults and we live out that adult life. And all of these aspects, all of these various phases have challenges with them. And with them, there are unique moments that we have in, in that, that enable us to tell that whole story. I love, I love the way that David writes in Psalm 78. These are the things we learn from our ancestors, and we will tell them to the next generation. We won't keep secret the glorious deeds and the mighty miracles of the Lord. God gave his law to Jacob's descendants, the people of Israel. And he told our ancestors to teach their children. So that each new generation would know his law and tell it to the next. Then they would trust God and obey his teachings without forgetting anything God had done. They would be different from their ancestors who were stubborn and rebellious and unfaithful to God. How many of you have family members like that? None of you are like that, right? Okay. We'll hear your confession later. The warriors of Ep- from Ephraim were armed with arrows, but they ran away when the battle began. They broke their agreement with God, and they turned their backs on his teaching. They forgot all he had done, even the mighty miracles. Father, this morning, as we open our heart to your word, would you grant to us the insight, the understanding the wisdom, and the direction that you have for our lives. Holy Spirit, we ask you to invade this place this morning. Help us as we share the word and help us as we hear the word. Father, we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen? Amen. This morning, as we begin this journey, I've asked Pastor Lauren and Pastor Jeff to help me who, who, you know, rented lips, barbiturates, something, I don't know. But uh, we're, we're at, I've asked them to help me because each of these two work specifically with one of these unique generations. And so from a perspective, uh, I believe that uh, they have some very intriguing things to share. I've given them permission to meddle. Everybody can say, ouch. <laughs> but 
as we've collaborated on this message, I think you'll find there's a thread that goes through it. We all have a part, and we can partner in raising our children to adulthood. Amen? Pastor Laura. All right. So his needs, her needs, sons and daughters. Sonship and daughtership, as Pastor had mentioned, started when we were all children at one point. You didn't have to be taught how to be a child. You were born as a child. Um, and so most people, I think, were, were children at one point. Um, and children need to be taught. The overarching theme as it pertains to children this morning is children need to be told and, and taught what to think. They, they haven't developed the, the why yet or the, the history and the knowledge of what's happened. They're just coming into the world and, and seeing things from a fresh perspective. And so children this morning, as we grasp it, need to be taught and told what to think. If Looking back at Psalm 78, verse 3 and 4, it says, these are the things that we learned from our ancestors, and we will tell them to the next generation. There's an obligation and, and a uh, job description for us here is to tell the next generation. It goes on in verse 5, and it says, God gave his law to Jacob's descendants, the people of Israel, and he told our ancestors to teach their children. We are called to tell and teach our children, and that is to train them and equip them to be the sons and daughters of God that they are called to be, that we are all called to be. Proverbs 22.6 is, is a, a verse that's well known. It says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and he, sh he shall not depart from it. I love the way the message version says that same verse. And it says, point your kids in the right direction. When they're old, they won't be lost. That's what we're doing. We're pointing our kids in the right direction. We are called to train and to teach our kids so that when they are old, they will not be lost. So the question is, how? How are we supposed to train a child? It says train up a child. It's a command. But how? And I believe that the training of a child involves three very vital things. And one of those things is modeling. To properly train a child means that we must model before our children. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your souls, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your hearts. It starts with us. It starts that we would bind godly principles to our hearts, that we would model a, a, a godly household in front of our children. But it's got to start with us. And again, the message version of that says it eloquently. It says, write these commands that I've given you today on your hearts. Get them inside of you and then get them in your children. It starts with us as adults, as parents, as partners of parents, extensions of parents. As Pastor Jeff has, has said before, a message or a lesson will be caught before it's taught. I love that. I love the way that that's said. A message or lesson will be caught before it's taught. If you walk into our nursery or our preschool right now, you will see a little kitchenette in each of those rooms, and kids play with that kitchenette. They're playing chef. They're playing house. You walk into our preschool room, you see a little crib and baby dolls with clothes and blankets, and kids are, are, are holding babies and swaddling them and carrying them as we would carry an actual baby. 
They didn't have to be taught how. They're just watching. This is what mom does. This is what dad does. This is what goes on a stove. This kind of looks similar. You know, they're putting their little plastic pans and plastic foods into the thing, and, and, and they're playing house. You walk to Africa, and, and you see children, little girls who, who take their teddy bears, and they throw their teddy bears on their back and have this wrap, and they wrap this bear up like the mamas carry their babies. I watch this. It's so cute. They don't have to be taught how. It just was modeled before them. But children don't just model house. They don't, they don't just mimic, mimic what we're doing in house. But children's hearts, they'll also start mimicking our hearts. Is our heart geared towards Christ? Are we binding Christ towards our hearts? What is their heart binding up? It will often mimic what our heart is binding up. I remember as a young girl, as early as four, I would have some mornings where I would wake up early and, and walk out of my room, and my dad has always been a morning person. Walk out of my room, and I would find my dad in the living room, worship music playing, sometimes in prayer, always with a Bible, a devotional, and a journal. He was diving into God's heart. And I remember seeing this as I grew up all throughout, just random mornings I would wake up early and find him in the living room. Entering into God's heart. And I remember about eight years old, I walked out one morning early before school, and I saw this again, saw my dad just diving into God's heart. And I, I watched him for a minute, and I turned around, I went back to my room, I grabbed the Bible off my shelf, and I sat on my floor, and I just started to read. I was doing what my dad did. There was something that I hungered for. I was mimicking what I saw. Not knowing where to start, but hey, the Bible is a good place. I knew that that book was there. <laughs> I'm going to start reading. What do our children see? What are they going to mimic? And my challenge is, is this. My dad, he easily could have been in his room and done his devotions there where he wouldn't have to worry about me or my brother coming and interrupting him and fighting over the cereal box. And <laughs> but he chose to sit somewhere where he could be found. He chose to model it where it would be seen. And so my challenge for us as a church, not just parents, but us as a church, we have children inside and outside of these walls that do not have godly models in their homes, that do not have dads that will be found on, on the couch doing their devotion, that do not have moms that will find themselves in the church but these children still need a model. So my challenge for us is would you strategically place yourself somewhere where you would be found by a child modeling godly principles that they could mimic? Would you strategically place yourself? So we must model in order to train up a child in the way that he should go is modeling is one of the things that we are called to do. But it can't stop there either. We must also teach or tell our children, again, what to think. And this is possibly the most fundamental piece of this, this message as it pertains to children. Children need to be taught and told lessons and principles from the Bible. At its most basic level, they need to be taught and they need to be told what to think. See, these in, in the real-life situations, I guess, if you want to say, are the don't play in the street. Don't run around the fire pit. Don't touch the hot stove. 
conversations, right? It's not a, let's have a conversation about it while the car is coming down. No, this is just don't, right? This is the same thing when it comes to scripture. Children need to be taught about God and who God is, what God has done. It's not the conversations of, of the why or the how do you feel about it conversations, but as a child, it's this is who God is and I know because. This is what God has done. Did you see how God moved in our family? God is moving. These are the conversations. Kids just need that basic foundation. Who is God? Deuteronomy 6, 7 gives us a command. It says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. It's talking about the commands of the Lord and the history of the Lord. And shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the, walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. A.K.A. you should te- be teaching your children all the time. All the time. You don't get a day off from that. The idea here is if you're not sitting, then you're probably walking. And if you're not walking, then you're probably getting up. And if you're not getting up, then you're probably laying down. And if you're not doing any of those things, then you're probably dead. (laughs) So we should be prepared to be teaching our children as we sit, as we stand, as we walk, as we rise, as we lay down. Those are the moments that we are teaching our children. Every moment, ready, in and out of season. Children are to be taught how to walk and talk by you, but they're also to be taught how to talk to Jesus by you. Children are taught how to brush, your, brush their teeth and, and bathe themselves by you, but they should also be taught how to live a pure life by you. See, and we have to take the opportunities as they come. In the crisis for a child... Maybe a child scraped their knee or maybe they lost a family member. Your second nature might be immediately to go to prayer. I hope it is. But have we taken the moment to explain to our child what prayer is? Because, see, it can't just be model and assume that they get it. That's not second nature to a kid. A kid doesn't have a second nature yet. That comes as we we age and as we get more experience. But in those moments, in the crisis for a child, whether it's a scraped knee or the loss of a family member, let's pray. Let's talk about prayer. Let's, let me tell you what prayer does. Let me tell you how much God loves us in times of hurt. Let me show you a story of God loving someone in a time of hurt. Let me tell you about Christ on the cross, that God sent his son to die for us so that we wouldn't have to experience ultimate pain and suffering. God doesn't want that. Those are the teachable moments as we sit, as we stand, as we rise, as we walk. Every moment may not be a teachable moment with a child. I get that. Children do weird things sometimes, and you're just like, I don't even know what. Is there a lesson? Not every moment will be a teachable moment. But we must be ready at every moment to teach, ready to give that God lesson. So let's teach about God so much, day in and day out, that when they sit, that when we sit or when we walk or when we rise, all all the time, all day, every day, let's teach them so much so that they don't have the option or opportunity to forget who he is. Because the less we teach, the less we study, the more we forget. Does anybody remember third grade math or freshman math or 
Yeah, no. The less we study, <laughs> the less we teach, the more we forget. Deuteronomy 8.19 says, If you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Let's make sure our families and our children don't forget. Let's make sure that our families and our children don't perish. So we have to model for our kids. We have to not model like runway model, but, you know, we must model a righteous lifestyle in front of our children. We must teach and tell our children about who Christ is. But the third thing in training a child to successfully train a child in the way that he should go so that he shall not depart from it means that we must also correct our children. This is the discipline side. And pastor told you I'm allowed to meddle. So there are a lot of opinions in our world about how to and how not to discipline a child. Our society has a lot of ideas. You can do this, you can't do that, lawsuit this, court date that, so on and so forth. But let me tell you what the word of God says. Penned by the Holy Spirit thousands of years ago who knew the society that we would be living in today. His word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Proverbs 23, 13 and 14, it says, Don't fail to discipline your children. The rod of punishment won't kill them. Physical discipline may well save them from death. Physical discipline may well save them from death. And now I feel like there might be some people who are thinking, could she possibly be talking about spanking my child? We are in the 21st century. She is our children's pastor. We trust her with our kids. What? Oh, not even. Jeff doesn't. Sorry, Lainey. <laughs> Here's the thing. If we knew what God knew, what physical discipline could produce, rather than what our society says physical discipline would steal away, we might trust in it a little bit more. Because understanding this verse, physical discipline may well save them from death. Would you consider it if it might save them from the clutches of the enemy? It might well save their soul. We're so worried in the now, well, what about the psychological impact that it's going to have on them or my relationship with them or their peers or other adults? They won't trust me. No. Now, understand we're talking about physical discipline, not physical abuse. There is a very stark difference. Okay? Physical discipline, not abuse. Proverbs 13, 24 says a refusal to correct is a refusal to love. Love your children by disciplining them. Love your children by disciplining them. Kids need hunger and want and desire that discipline and that structure. They want it only when it's done right, though. Here's how we discipline right, James 1, 19 and 20. It says, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That last part is key. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
Train up a child in the way that he should go, and he will not depart from it. But if that discipline comes from a place of anger, that child will not be built up in the righteousness of God. So we have to discipline not in anger, but in love. So here are the guidelines and the structure for discipline. Never, never discipline a child out of anger or out of frustration. Never, period. Not never, comma. Not never, semicolon. Not never, dot, dot, dot. No, just never, period. Never. If there's a moment where your child, you know they need to be disciplined, but you're stuck in your anger, hold off on the discipline till you can take care of yourself. Never discipline a child out of anger or frustration. Kids can read our emotions like that. And kids we know are always asking the question, but why, but why, but why, but why? Why, mom? Why, dad? Why? And they're asking the same question with every action and decision that we make. If it comes down to discipline, they're asking, but why? Why am I being punished? Why am I being disciplined? And the why that I hope they would find or have the opportunity to find is because Jesus. Because Jesus has called you to be a son and a daughter of the king, and this is how the son and the daughter of the king behaves. Why? Because our standards are higher than the standards of the world. Kids should have the opportunity to see Jesus through discipline, every disciplinary action. Why am I being disciplined? Because God's standards that we would honor our father and mother. Why am I being disciplined? Because God's standard is that we would love our enemies and not persecute them. I mean, talk about persecution. Why am I being disciplined? Because we live by the standards of God's, by the standard of God that says we shall not covet, we shall not steal, we shall not um, steal or, or kill or murder or commit adultery. We live by the standards of God. That is why. Let them see God in your discipline and in your correction and in your action. Parenting can be frustrating, absolutely, yes. So don't discipline out of anger. See, love has to be the fruit of our discipline. Love has to be the fruit. And in disciplining a child, don't do it in anger. And two, don't shame them. We do not live in a shame-based culture. We live in a guilt-based culture. So we model our, our discipline to model the culture that we live in. Adding shame to discipline, if that's spanking in public or, or calling kids out in front of their peers and their heroes overtly, adds shame to the gospel that we're trying to declare to them. Adds shame to the Jesus that, that just clouds their vision. Maybe, maybe I don't want any of that. Don't shame your children. Training a child requires us to be clear, defining our expectations, defining who we are, the teaching and the telling. Training a child requires us to be convincing. That means discipline. That means setting the standards. This is what will happen. Let's be convincing and not just in our words, but in our follow through. But here's the deal, also convincing in our self-discipline. Let your children see you Discipline yourself as well. Discipline doesn't stop at 12. It continues on into adulthood as well. But they're going to have to learn how to self-discipline as well. So let it continue on. 
Children will test the integrity of the boundaries by pushing them. But we are to be men and women of integrity, just as our Heavenly Father is a man of integrity. Proverbs 11.3, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Please don't let duplicity taint the name of the Lord. And lastly, we are to be compassionate. In our parenting, please be compassionate. Never, never, never out of anger. Teach, model, and correct. That's what children need. And now for the teens. Um, yeah. I'd say that we need to, when students, when children move into adolescence, we still need to grasp hold of the things that, that Pastor Lauren shared. They don't stop. Um, we do need to, however, adapt within that. Just as Jesus, um, we look at his example and how he showed the disciples how to, to live out their faith, to live out walking in, in the calling of, of Christ's followers as sons and daughters. Um, and then when they had moved from observing, they mo- moved to participating with him in that. And so that's, that's kind of where we're at with the second part of this is that we need to become guides. And, and I'm always about including everyone that's in here. So um, let me just say this, that you are all trainers. You are all guides, regardless of age, regardless if you have kids or not. If you're, if you're in middle school right now, you, you have a responsibility by God to, to reach those around you, to train them to tell the story of God. We have a responsibility to not just teach and tell, but teach them to tell. Because otherwise we will get to a point like Psalm 78 says, there came a day where they did not know. Because we have failed to teach them to tell. We've told them, but we've not taught them to tell the story. So we need to become guides. So how do we do that? Let's first look at Psalm 127, 3 and 5. It says, Behold, children are a heritage or a gift from the Lord. They are the fruit of the womb. The fruit of the womb is a reward. They're like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame. Ten years old, fourth grade, I got a bow and arrow. Great day, great gift, so amazing. My parents... You know, like my mom got it for me, so we set up a hay bale, and I wanted to be like Legolas, the elven archer from Lord of the Rings, if you're familiar with it. Um, you know, like quickly drawing like arrows out, you know, like just like all over the map, but I had no idea what I was doing. So I like literally like slapped my arm raw by the bowstring because I didn't have like an arm. You know, like, I'm like what is up? This does, he just like does it so fast and doesn't hurt himself. What am I doing wrong? You know, I would like think that I would have to raise the bow like a hundred feet in the air and like just shoot it off and then I wouldn't be able to find them, you know? I mean, like they'd be launched every which way or I'd aim too low and just skip across the dirt. I wasn't, I'm not a very good archer, (laughs) if I'm being honest. Um, And and even the quality of the arrows wasn't up to par, but that, yeah, I'm going to blame it on that for sure, you know? I'm a great archer, but I think as parents, as humans, we want to hit the mark. We want to do our best. We want to strive for excellence. I want to do the best I can. Um, but we need to guide. We need guides. We need people in our lives that are going to help us to hit the mark. Regardless if, if you're um, a middle schooler, a high schooler, 
you're a 20 something, you're a young, young parent, you're in your seventies, you need, you want to hit the mark. You want to finish well. And so how do we do this? How do we guide our children to, to the target? We have to define the target for sure, but we're living in a different landscape. We're living in a new time today that's different than the day yesterday. This is the first generation that doesn't need adults for information. They don't need you to figure stuff out. Before, I would have to, you know, like, we would have to go ask our parents about something. We'd have to check out an encyclopedia at the, at the library. Anyone remember that? Yeah. You had to have a bibliography. What's that? You know, I mean, like, right? No, like, but this is the first generation that doesn't need you for information. And so not only are we growing up in a time where we are biblically illiterate, we're growing up with a generation that is biblically misinformed because they can find information about who God is, but that information is wrong. This is the first generation that we can, they can broadcast their every thought and emotion in real time. Instant. So they're engaging in content and events so much faster and moving on from those things so much faster than we would. You know, there's like a new challenge on social media every week, it seems like, where it's like, man, it's hard to keep up. They can have external stimuli 24-7. So boredom is like non-existent because literally they can engage in that. So what does this mean for us as parents, as, as people that desire to raise students up to hit the mark? It means that we have to transform our role from informers to interpreters. In today's world, full of information that's accessible all the time, we need to, to move on as like Sherpa guides. They're going to help students climb mountains by the information that they've gathered and scale the new heights that we couldn't have dreamed of. The thing that's cool about an arrow is an arrow in battle, you don't have to be face-to-face. It can, it can shoot so much farther and, and be way more effective, in fact, at a range. And the same is with our kids. Our goal should be to shoot our kids further than we could ever possibly go. That should be the goal of our kids. Is to, I want them to go farther in their faith. I want them to have a love for Jesus that is beyond mine. I want them to be successful in all they do. I want them to have integrity that is beyond where I can stand right now. That is the effectiveness of an archer, and that is the effectiveness that we need to become as guides. So how do we do that? How do we become a guides? We need to guide them in the timely and in the timeless. What does it look like to be a guide that is timely and timeless? First, timely. We need to adopt and adapt. Adopt and adapt. And this requires a lot of vulnerability to say, hey, I don't have it figured out. And it causes us to have to engage with a younger generation and ask questions to understand. To understand. Because there's great possibility with the new. We need to seize what is new and help our kids leverage it for their success. I look at the YouVersion app and, and the, the, the beauty of that, that literally it is, it is erasing biblical illiteracy across the world and, and that it is being trans, translated into thousands of languages. And their goal is by 2035 to have every single language on the face of the earth in the YouVersion app so the Bible can be anywhere. 
That's amazing. It's an amazing tool. And, and guess what? Like, young people are, are at the forefront of this because that's what I love about this generation is they are not consumers. They're not like, feed me. Like, it's all about me. They're like, they're bored because they're not engaged because they want to publish. They're disengaged because they want to be like, do things that are meaningful and they want to be a part of creating content that they are a part of. They don't just want to watch content or, or be a part of it. They want to curate it. So we need to adopt and to adapt, and that's what I love about having conversations with, with Pastor Dale. Even while we were sitting here, like, a phone call went off. Can I share this? Is this cool? All right. I got permission. We're good. The pizza phone call went off, you know, and, he's, and it kept, they kept calling back, you know, for pizza with the pastors, and he's, like, trying to figure out how to silence his phone, and so we just, like, I, I helped him do it. But, but I love that we can, we can partner together to be strong. Like, and I love that Pastor Dale's heart is like, hey, help me to understand how can, how can we adapt and adopt new things that are good. Not everything that's new is good, but there's a lot of good. In, in, and in order for them to shoot farther than we can go, we have to help them to think through the good to where they can critically assess what is good and what is right to where they can use it to their best. So they also need the timeless, which means that we need to explain and equip. We need to explain the why. I think a lot of times, like, we don't explain the why very well. We just kind of give them a half answer or just like a kind of answer that will appease the conversation. But we need to explain the heart of why this is timeless. Did you know that in a survey in 2015 that in our public universities, 98% of students admitted to cheating to achieve a grade? 98%. So we are failing to pass along the timeless of integrity, of character. We need to explain the why. And we need to equip them for it. So we don't think what, we think why. Because when we explain why, we'll get an engagement in a different level. We're not just grabbing their hand and saying, hey, this is what you need to do. We're not just grabbing their head to be like, yeah, here, we're grabbing their heart. Because they understand the deeper meaning of why we're doing what we're doing, why it matters that we follow Jesus, why it matters that we worship God, why it matters that we build in daily worship for our family. So much good stuff. Um, Got to move on. We have to also guide out of belief and not relief. I think a lot of times we would love to protect our kids. We would love to relieve their, their trouble, their struggle. But we are handicapping them when we do that. We are keeping them in the quiver instead of letting arrows see battle. Our kids were born for battle. They were born to, to, to succeed. But if we are too busy sheltering them and, and relieving them of every bump along the way, they will not grow. They will not become spiritually mature. They will not become successful. And the other side of that is we need to also lead out of belief and not relief in our conversations. So many times it's so much easier to shut down a conversation because I want to relieve my need to actually have that tough conversation. I want to be like, no, I, just, I want relief. Just leave me alone, right? Instead of 
engaging in the belief and the standard of what you know them to be. Kids acting up instead of like just doing the knee-jerk response of just go to your room, leave me alone, whatever. We're shutting off the Wi-Fi. We're done. Maybe engage them in this way. Hey, this, this isn't like you. What's going on? This isn't, this isn't the person that you are. This isn't the person I know you to be. Maybe engage them on a different level. We have to go out of belief. And um, I'm going to end with my, my section with the story. And the great inven- inventor Thomas Edison told this story. Um, when he was young, he returned home from school with a note uh, from his teacher that only his mom could read. And he handed it to his, his mother, and she began to, to cry as she read it. Then he turned to her, and he's like, Mom, what does it say? It says this, your son is a genius, and this school is too small for him. Doesn't have enough good teachers to train him. Please teach him yourself. From then on, Edison's mom removed him from school, and he was self-taught. She allowed him to curiously pursue what interested him and to devour it. Years later, after his mom died, He was rummaging through her belongings and came across the note from his teacher. When he read it, he was stunned to read, your son is mentally ill. We won't let him come to school anymore. We don't have teachers to handle him. You'll have to teach him yourself. Edison wept and wept for hours. Since that time, he gave his mother credit for cultivating his genius as an inventor. See, she saw something that others didn't in her boy. And the result was the same, that yes, he couldn't be in school and he had to learn at home, that the outcome is dictated by how we respond. How we respond. Do we respond out of the belief of, of who our kids are? Not just like fake belief or a shell of belief, but a rock-solid belief. Because here's the thing, if we say we believe something about our kids, we better believe it because that if it is hollow, they will sniff it out and it will break them. Don't say a word about a student unless you really believe it. But Tom's life was forever changed because someone believed in him. I encourage us, like, as we're guiding this next generation into adulthood, as we're allowing them to discover their God-given passions and callings, not ours, because I think that's our temptation, is like, you're going to be just like me. No, like, let your kid be who they were meant to be. Encourage them, nudge them, help them interpret it, but don't don't tell them who they're going to be. I was talking to a friend this week about the Enneagram, and we were having a great conversation. If you don't know what it is, it's a personality assessment. Change your life. But... But I was like, man, I was talking about the Enneagram with kids. And he's like, I don't, I don't want my son to take the Enneagram because I don't want to tell them who they are. Like, I think that's something for later on they can discover kind of what's in that. But I don't want to pigeonhole them to being just this. I think that's important. Let your kids develop. Don't pigeonhole them to be something that they're not. Like, even if you see signs, like, sure, give a nudge, but don't pigeonhole them to just be something that they're not. Because God could be up to something different. Um, Pastor, close us out.
We've heard a lot, haven't we? Our children are important. Our teens are, are important. But we are training, we're guiding them to become adults. And that, that is the, that hopefully that is our goal, is to train them to be adults that can think on their own and have a relationship with the Lord. Uh, adolescence is a transitional period. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult period. Um, I, I love the story about Jesus in Luke chapter 2. It says, when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And if you remember, this is the story of when Mary and Joseph went to the temple. And I believe it was for partly for his bar mitzvah. But they went there and... Uh, it was quite a caravan of people that was with them and on their way home, thinking that he was with his friends, they didn't know where he was for three days. How do you lose God? <laughs> I mean, think about that. That's a tough one. You know, yeah, they got a brownie point taken away, I'm telling you right there. <laughs> He goes on and says, now, so it was after three days, they found him, thank God, in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. We, we had the, the privilege of having our, one of our grandsons with us for a couple months here, the last of last year. And uh, it's been a long time since we've had teenagers in the house. I forgot how much they ate <laughs> and how much they sleep. It's amazing. But I also found how inquisitive they are. A lot of questions. And a lot of the questions were somewhat directed. In other words, they, they were provoking questions. Questions that they wanted to see if they could stir your emotions. I found out years ago that the best way to handle a tough question is to ask a question. Tyler would ask me a question, and I'd say, okay, what does that mean to you? Well, now he had to talk about it. He was defending him, himself, and he said, what do you think about that? And I was, well, I'm not so that totally agreed with that, but that's your opinion. Here's why I think why I think. And in so doing, you're guiding them, as Pastor Jeff has shared, to a truth. It's our responsibility to teach them not to act like children. Did you hear that? But to teach them to understand what it is to be an adult. We tell children what to think. We teach teens how to think. But we expect adults to think. Hello? Hello? Some of us are still learning. <laughs> I remember many years ago, before, before I ever came to know the Lord, a, a good counselor came to me and he said, do you think the choices you're making now will affect you when you become an adult? And I had to be honest about that because most of what I was doing had nothing to do with me becoming an adult. It was living in the now for the moment not realizing that the decisions that I would make would have impact on my life, perhaps forever. 
So it comes to this point of adulthood. When our children become adults, it's at that time we have to release them and trust them. In the Bible, the definition of adulthood, as far as timelines and age, was at the age of 20. In Exodus chapter 30, verse 14, everyone, including among those who are numbered from 20 years old and above, that was adulthood. That was their understanding that there was a temple tax that was placed on every adult at 20 and above was adulthood. Numbers 1, verses 3, it says, from 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war, you were eligible to be a warrior at 20 years of age. In Numbers chapter 14, there was a responsibility for your own sins at the age of 20. It says, and I like the way it says it, but your little ones whom said, whom you said would be victims. He's speaking of children, but he's talking Earlier, he talks about uh, those that were numbered at 20 or above. At 20 years of age, you became an adult. We read the passage. It says, therefore, shall a man leave his mother and father and cleave unto his own wife. It's not a boy. It's not a child, but a man. It's adulthood. Adult sons and daughters must be treated as adults, please hear my word. Too often we want to continue to treat grown children as children when they become adults. Got real quiet here. You remember the story of Samson? Samson... Samson had a, a weakness for Philistine women. He did. And, and we find that he, he was head over heels for this girl, and his mom and dad didn't like it. And this was not Delilah. In Judges 14.4, under that context. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord. He's an adult. They wanted to treat him as a child. They wanted to correct him and tell him this is not the way. It wasn't for them to do that. God was teaching him something. God was attempting to show him you cannot go this direction. I think it's possible that sometimes God is trying to teach our kids things, and we rush in. I, I have seen it over and again, over and again, where, where a child, whether they're a child or a teen or, or a young adult, are, are making horrible mistakes, and God has them on the anvil, and his hammer is coming down to bring corrective direction in their life, and mom and dad jump right in the middle of it. And take the blow. And we cripple our children in the process of it. And we scar young adults in the process of it. I've heard people say, 
my kids don't honor me. The Bible says that you should honor your mother and father. Well, how are they not honoring you? They're not taking my opinion. Well, everybody has the right to their own stupid opinion. Here's what I'm trying to share. If they come to you and ask for your opinion, they're honoring you. But if they choose not to accept that, doesn't mean they're dishonoring you. They're maturing. And if we hold over them, you're, you're not honoring your mother and father because you're not doing what we want you to do. That's spiritual abuse. Whenever you use the word of God to get your way with anybody is spiritual abuse. We raise our sons and daughters to release them that they will make decisions, they will live a life, that they will learn to serve God themselves. I thank God for my children, my son and my daughter. This last September, we had our 50th anniversary. And it was a wonderful event for us. But it was also, last year was the 25th anniversary for both of our children. They both celebrated their 25th anniversary. And it's kind of an odd thing. It's rare. It's unique. We, we're grateful for it. But we, we took our adult son and daughter with us to San Diego. And it wasn't our children. Now it was a son and daughter. It was a brother and a sister. They are our equal. Do you, do you catch that? And we had a blast. It, was not, it wasn't talking about anything but adult themes. It was talking about things that adults talk about. It was relational in that unique way. It was wonderful because they're adults. They'll always be our son and daughter. But here's the thing that's so unique. They will always be our son and daughter, yet right now they're our brother and sister. Do you catch the distinction? They're on an equal plane, an equal footing. (laughs) I remember when Sherry and I got married in the last century. Well, it was. We were on our honeymoon, and it was the second or third day of our honeymoon. We were up here in Newport. I always get up early. I got up. I was walking on the beach, and I sat down on this log, and boy, I think I've made the biggest mistake of my life. What I didn't know is Sherry was in the hotel room crying, thinking, boy, I think I've made the biggest mistake of my life. (laughs) We didn't tell each other that story for many years, but when we did, it was humorous. Because what was happening was we were becoming adults. We had realized the weight and the responsibility of adulthood. 
the weight and responsibility of having a wife, the weight and responsibility of having a husband, of being in a relationship. It was a weighty moment. It was an awakening moment. I, I remember uh, my dad, uh, he is, is a question, uh, I guess, a biblical question of, have you ever come to a place where you have been invited into adulthood? And, and I can take you back to that moment in my life was September 2nd, 1968. It was my birthday. I turned 20 years old. My dad had a business, and he owned the business and worked unbelievable hours. But that day, he took it off. We went to Big Lava Lake up in the high Cascades. We got in the boat with our big old dog, Huck, and we went fishing. We really didn't do much fishing. We did a whole lot of talking. As a matter of fact, he did a lot of talking. Sharing with me principles, sharing with me things that he felt I needed to know. And I remember the conversation ending something like this, son. Up to this moment, I've been able to tell you what I think. From this moment on, you need to ask my advice. Because I will not give it unless you ask it. Because now, you're a man. And to the best of his ability, he kept that promise. He did not meddle into my life. He did not come and tell me what I needed to do or the decisions that I needed to make. He was always ready and willing to hear me when I asked it. He gave me the insight and understanding of knowing that I could ask him. But as an adult, I had to take responsibility to grow up. And I need to do the same thing with my kids. When a son and daughter reach adulthood, titles go away. They now become my rival, no, my equal. Do you, do you understand that? We have to trust them. How many of you made every decision the right way? I'll hear your confession later. Right. You didn't. You didn't. You learn by hitting the bricks. You, you learn by smacking against the wall. You learned by doing the wrong thing. You learned by experience. And our sons and daughters, our brothers and sisters, we've given them everything we can give them. We've we've trained them as children. We've guided them as teens. We trust them as adults and let them make their own decisions. And by so doing, we free them to be what God created them to be. I always found it rather interesting that the last words that David said to Solomon, his son, 
And I'm paraphrasing it, but he says, be strong and prove that you're a man. And I think those are good words for us. Be strong and prove that you're an adult. And we say that to our kids. We say that to all of us. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning? Thank you, Pastor Lauren and Pastor Jeff, for helping share this word this morning. I hope that you have captured some insight. We're not here to tell you what to do. We're just here to share with you some principles. It's hard, it's hard, it's hard to release our kids, isn't it? Father, I thank you for every family, every home, every parent, every child in this room. And Father, we as a corporate body, as a church family, each of us have a role in raising the children of this church. We have a role in loving them and gracefully guiding them and tactfully directing them. But, Father, we also want to release them and allow them the wings to fly and hopefully fly in the right way. We pray for them. We we stand behind them. We, we support them in prayer, and we support them faithfully to believe for the good things in life. And Father, we pray against the forces of the enemy that would try to hurt and hinder them, try to disguise the wickedness of this world in some value system that seems to be so socially accepted. We pray you would give them discernment and wisdom and that, Father, you will help them to understand the truths that they, have been, that they have been influenced by through family and through friends and through the church. Father, we want sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, to know you as Savior. We dedicate a child, Father, and we bring them before you, a mom and dad. Bring that child into your presence and in the witness of a congregation we we want to dedicate that child to you that somewhere someday in their life they will come to a knowledge of who you are and they will then bow their heart and knee to Jesus as Savior as we read in Psalm 78 it's it's to teach these things the glorious wondrous works of our God from one generation to the next So, Lord, help us to do our part. Help us to release our children. Not to control them, but to release them. Releasing them knowing that, God, you have an incredible plan for them. And we want you to take them to a height that we could never anticipate for them. Take them into places and use their gifts and talents in ways that we could have never, ever even dreamed of. We release them not only in the freedom to be that adult, but, Lord, we release them into your care and keeping to make of them something so great and so awesome because we know you have a plan for their life. Perhaps there's somebody this morning that would say, Pastor, I struggled 
in one of the areas that have been talked about today. There's things going on in my home that I need wisdom in and I need grace to understand. As we sing this last song, I'm going to invite you to come. We're here to pray with you. We're here to, to, to walk with you through this journey. We invite you to take a moment just to step out. If there's an area of prayer, we're here to pray with you today. We may not have all of the answers, but we surely know the one that does. And we're here to walk with you in it. Before we dismiss you to prayer, would you just lift your hands to the Lord this morning? Receive his blessing. Now, Father, I speak your blessing over your people, over every child, over every teen, over every adult, over every family, over every grandparent, mother, father. That, Father, you will bless them, keep them, be gracious to them, go before them, guide them and direct them. Give them infinite wisdom, Lord. These are days when we need more wisdom than we know where to get. Be with our kids, God, in a world that's so depraved and so horrid. Help us to guide them and, and shelter them and protect them where we can, but give them the wisdom that only you can bring to us. Bless us with those insights. Bless your people. Keep them and protect them. As we'll ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. God bless you.